Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. It's so good to see all of you here worshiping at our Bonnie Oaks campus. Also, those of you that are um, online, those at our Creekside service, our North Ottawa and St. Elmo campus as well. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and I have the privilege each week to share with you God's Word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up to the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. You can turn to Matthew 6. You can also take your smartphone and open that app as well. Also, we have a Silverdale app. You can open that and follow along, but we've also provided these um, Bible study outlines for you, so you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. As most of you know, we're in a series called Red Letter Words, and, and what that is is we're looking at some of the defining teachings of Jesus Christ. Most Bibles are known as red-letter editions, meaning that, you know what, all of Jesus' words are printed and highlighted in red so that we can see very clearly, okay, these are the words of our Lord. And there were certain things that Jesus taught on that were extremely important that he wanted you and I to understand today. And so we're looking at those different topics. And today we're going to talk about what Jesus taught, his red-letter words, about money. Yeah, money. Did you know that half of Jesus' parables were on how to handle money? That Jesus taught actually twice as much on money than what he did on prayer? Now, we all know how important prayer is, and yet why in the world would Jesus talk so much about money? Because he knew something, that our money is connected to our heart. That, that where your heart is, that's where your money is going to be as well. And so basically what Jesus says is all you got to do is follow the money, right? Now, you've heard that phrase before, right? Just follow the money. I mean, detectives, when they're trying to figure out a crime, what do they do? They'll just say, okay, who's got a motive for this crime? All you got to do is follow the money. Or maybe you look at a corporation, and it's like, oh my goodness, why did they make that decision? Why did, they, why did they compromise and do this, or whatever it may be? And you go, oh, it's pretty simple, just follow the money. Or you look at the congressman, and you go, why in the world did he vote like that? I mean, that just seems out of character. All you got to do is look at special interest and just follow the money, right? And so that's what we're learning here. Jesus is saying that a great deal of what motivates us in our life is money and what money can actually buy. And in fact, what we realize is that, you know, Jesus talks about money not because he's some fundraiser. Look, Jesus doesn't need your money, right? He doesn't. I mean, why does Jesus talk about money so much? Because Jesus wants something more valuable than your money. He wants you. He wants your heart. And that's why he talks about money is because money is somehow connected to our heart. I mean, in fact, at the top of your outline, I've put that question. Why does money appeal to our heart so much? 
I mean, why is it? Why does money seem, and, and, and possessions and stuff, why does it sort of pull on our heart? Why is that? Why are we attracted to it so much? I mean, even at an early age, think of it. When you're teaching your kids, you know, how to share, right? You go, little Johnny, you need to share. Now, what does little Johnny do? Does he come back and say, oh, mom and dad, what a novel idea. Sharing is wonderful. No. What do they do? They go, no, this is mine. I don't want to share. This is mine. See, stuff and possessions and money, it's connected to our heart. Now, why is that? Well, well, money makes a couple promises to us. It lies to us. In fact, jot this down. Here's the first lie. First, money promises significance. Money promises significance. That guess what? Okay, if you get enough money, you can buy that nice house, live in that nice neighborhood, drive that nice car, wear those stylish clothes. And what does that say? Oh, if I have those things, then I have value. Then I am significant. In fact, one psychologist said this. He says, in our society, money is a symbol of strength and influence and power. And so in our culture, the more stuff you have, the more valuable you are. And so literally, we make people look valuable based on their stuff. It promises significance. Second thing that money promises is this. Money promises happiness, right? Shut down. Money promises happiness. Now, we all know that's not true. We've been told our life, hey, you know what? Money doesn't give you happiness. Money can't buy you happiness. And yet, we still believe it does, don't we? I mean, we've seen all the studies. We've seen all the statistics. They all bear out the same thing, that it doesn't matter how much money you have. It does not determine how much happiness you have. In fact, think of it this way. The United States of America. We are one of the wealthiest nations in the world. That means we ought to be one of the happiest places in the world to live. Look around. Does everybody look happy in America? No. We're more divided. We're messed up than we've ever been. See, more stuff doesn't buy you happiness. The fact is, is that in the United States of America, listen to this. We have the highest per capita income. We have more opportunities for education, medical care, home ownership, car ownership, food availability than any other nation on the planet. And so what does that mean? That means that you and I, we ought to be the happiest people there are because we got all this stuff. And yet, where does America rank in the happiness scale of nations? We are number 33. What's interesting is in that study on happiness is that seven of the top ten happiest nations in the world are third world nations. They don't even have stuff. They don't even have the things that you and I have. The, the bottom line is that happiness does not come through money and possessions. It just doesn't. Let me see if I can illustrate like this. See this guy right here? His name is Alex. Alex, a 70-year-old mechanic from Illinois outside of Chicago. His regular routine every day is after work, he would go buy a um, convenience store, prop, plop down $5 and buy a couple of lottery tickets. Then he'd come home, watch the White Sox game. And then the evening news would come on, and it would show the, the lottery numbers, the winning lottery numbers, and he'd write them down. He wouldn't compare them himself because his wife liked to do that. And so then later on, his wife, Ursula, comes home, and um, you know what? She, she comes actually home from church. She's been playing bingo at church, and she's a little frustrated. And the reason why she's frustrated is because this is now two weeks in a row. She was just one number short from winning, Right? And so then she starts looking at, okay, here's the lottery tickets, and here's the winning lottery numbers, and she starts comparing. First number matches, second number matches, third number matches, fourth number matches. She's getting excited. The fifth number matches, she goes, thank you, Jesus, right? She is super excited. They just won the lottery. 
A week later, her and her husband, they received this um, mega huge check for $69 million. And Alex said, you know what? I knew our world would change, but I was just a blue-collar worker. I just, I just wanted to, you know, you know, finally have a little contentment in life. And he said, something strange happened with the more money that we got. I didn't become more content. In fact, he said this. What happened was an increased appetite for more. See, they didn't just buy one dream home. They bought eight. Two for him, two for her, and one for each one of their kids. And in Alex's home, he had a chapel built so that he could pray there. And, and then he, he had an you know, entertainment theater that he put in. And he really loved antique cars, so he bought a 1934 Mercedes, a 1922 Model T. And his newfound wealth, you, you think it brought contentment and happiness? No, it, it did just the opposite. It became a burden for him. In fact, listen to, he um, was interviewed by a magazine in Chicago a few years after he won the lottery. Look at what he said. He says, when you win, you say, thank you, God. You you think you're blessed, but you're cursed. Money's not happiness. It's a curse. People don't leave you alone. Charities come from every direction. The government taxes the heck out of you. I don't like it. Shortly after he gave that um, interview, His wife, Ursula, had some complications with pneumonia, and she died. He was devastated. He literally sold all his stuff, gave it all away, because he said this, what good are all those houses when they're empty? Now, I read that story, and I thought, you know what? Alex isn't much different from me. Alex isn't much different from you. Alex isn't much different from most people in our society today. Why? Because most of us really do believe in our heart of hearts that, you know what? If I just had a little bit more money, that would solve my problems. If I just had a little bit more money, then I would be happy. If I just had a little bit more money, then I would have, you know, the purpose in life that I really have. If I just had a little bit more, right? Because that's what our culture constantly tells us. I mean, even at an early age, think about the board games you played. Who is the winner? The person who accumulated the most stuff, right? What are the television shows that we watch? Who wants to be a millionaire? Or will of what? fortune, right, or Shark Tank. And look, I love all those shows, but they all communicate a subtle lie. If you just had a little bit more, you'd be happy, right? But Jesus says, no, that's absolutely not true. See, money's not a bad thing. Money can be a good thing, but whenever money becomes the ultimate thing, it will ruin your life. And that's what Jesus is saying. It steals your heart, ultimately, away from God. And that's why Jesus talked about it so much. And so look at what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 19. Jesus' red-letter words for us today are this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp to the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now in that passage there on money, what Jesus does, he actually asks us three questions to evaluate what really has your heart. 
And so I want you to ask yourself today these same three questions, and based on your answer, it will tell you whether God has your heart or whether stuff and money and possessions has your heart, okay? First question is this. Shout this down. Number one, first of all, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Where do you store your assets? Where, where's the most valuable stuff you got? Where is it, right? In this life or in heaven? In fact, what Jesus does is Jesus actually gives you two reasons why you need to have your treasure in him and in heaven and not in your possessions. In fact, jot them down. Number one is this. Earthly treasures will disappear, right? Earthly treasures, as much as you may like them, eventually they all go away. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Basically, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, doesn't matter how much stuff you got, eventually it disappears. The Bible says that money has like wings and it just flies away. You think you got it and it suddenly disappears. I mean, think of it like this. You go to any marina and nobody there is smiling. Do you know why? Because something broke on that boat that day. Yeah, that's right. You know, the motor's not working, or the generator's messed up, or the starter's not starting, right? And it's not just a marina. It's everything. I mean, think about it. If you own a home, I'm guaranteeing at least half of your day a week, you're going to be fixing something, repairing something. I spent half the day yesterday working on my shower, trying to get this leak to stop leaking, right? I mean, we woke up one morning this week, and we, we've got one of those, you know, glass top, you know, ranges. And it had cracked right down the middle. You go, what? How did this happen? Well, Jesus said, hey, look, it's all going to break. It's all going to fall apart. It's all going to rust. It's all going to, it's just temporary, right? I mean, think about it. Think of cell phones just for a second. When you first got a cell phone, you go, oh, this is amazing. It's so cool. You got a cell phone, right? And then what happens? Technology is advancing so quickly that the cell phone you buy today, it's obsolete in a couple years, right? This is the way it is. Jesus says that's the way it is for everything. And yet, even though we see all this stuff disappearing, falling apart, breaking, we still want more. We want more. Have you ever seen that television show on A&E called Hoarders? I've never been able to watch an entire episode because it just freaks me out. It's just disgusting, right? I know those folks have some mental illness, right? But it just, you know, it's just crazy how people will, oh, yeah, they got to hoard stuff. And, and we realize, okay, if somebody, you know, hoards all this stuff and they stack stuff all the way to the ceiling, okay, there's something mentally wrong. They're crazy, right? Or you've got somebody that owns 70 cats in a trailer. You go, whoa, something's wrong with them, right? And yet, what do we do? As a culture, we'll idolize, you know, people like the Kardashians, right? Put them on a cover of a magazine, even though they exploit people, their selfish, indulgent lifestyle. We'll put them on a cover of a magazine and say, okay, you're a model. And yet Jesus is saying, no, they're just as crazy as hoarders are. Why? Because they have put all their hope in stuff of this world. And Jesus says, it's all going to just disappear, right? So there's a second reason why you need to have your treasure in Christ and in heaven, and it's this. Jot this down. Heavenly treasure lasts. Heavenly treasure lasts, right? It's going to be put in a vault for you that you're going to have it. And so how do you get it there? You've got to send it on ahead. Look at it, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. You may go, well, Pastor Tony, how do you do that? 
I mean, do you do it like the, the old Egyptians, right? I mean, Pharaoh, what do he do? He dies, and you know, they, they mummify him, and they get all this stuff, and they put him in a room. So whenever he wakes up on the other side, he's got all this stuff with him. Is that what you think, right? I heard about this story about this one guy who was convinced of something like that. And he said, he made his wife swear, okay, whenever I die, what I want you to do, I want you to put $10,000 in my casket, hopefully in gold. And she said, okay, okay. And so what did she do? She, um, she deposited that $10,000, and then she wrote a check for $10,000 and stuck it in there. And because she knew, you know what, you're not taking it with you, right? We all know you can't take it with you, right? And so what do you do? Well, Jesus says you got to store up. Well, how do you do that? Well, you got to go through an exchange. you got to exchange the earthly for the heavenly. It's much like this. When you go overseas and travel overseas to another country, what do you do? You take your American currency, you then exchange it for what? For whatever currency you're going to. Like I remember I went on a mission trip to India, and I exchanged my U.S. dollars for here's rupees, okay? And so, you know, and then on the way back, you give them the rupees, and they go through the exchange, and you get, you know, American dollars, right? You go, 50 rupees, what is that? Is that $50? No, it's actually 69 cents. That's all it's worth, right? I mean, but that's the thing. What are you doing? You've gone through an exchange, and that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, hey, whenever you make me your treasure, whenever you make the kingdom of God your treasure, whenever you give to the kingdom of God, whenever you tithe, whenever you give to missions, whenever you give to the poor, the Bible says that whenever you take care of the poor, God says, you're loaning to me. I'm going to take care of you. That's what God says. You know what? Whenever you, you see a widow or orphan and you care for them in their time of distress, God says, you're doing that for me. What do you do? Anytime that you use your time, your talents, your treasure, and you use it for the kingdom of God, it's like God puts it through an exchange rate and he stores it up in heaven for you. Now, why is this so important? Well, here's an application point. Jot this down. Because your heart follows your treasure. Your heart follows your treasure. Now, for years, I actually said it wrong. I put it like this. I said, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. But Jesus said the opposite. Check it out. Look at it in verse 21. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so let me ask you real simply, so where's your treasure? I mean, if you're near in retirement, right, and if, you, if you're real focused, your attention is on your 401K. Oh, my goodness, I'm close to retirement. Uh, and you're looking at your 401K every day, right? And you're watching the stock market every day. And if you got, you know, a couple of weeks where the Dow Jones goes down, you go, oh, no, you get all worried. Why? Because that's your treasure, and that has your heart. Or let's just say that, hey, you know what? You buy 50 shares of Disney stock. That's a little less than $10,000. And you buy 50 shares of Disney stock, and Disney becomes your company. What's going to happen? You're going to see all things Disney, won't you? I mean, you suddenly the Disney commercial comes on, and you go, oh, look at that commercial. Oh, they got that, you know, that's awesome. I, I, you know what? I think I'll go to one of the parks this year. That'll be awesome. Our Disney show comes on. You're going to watch it twice, right? Because that's your company. You see mouse ears everywhere. Why? Because Disney is your company. They have your treasure, so now they have your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, really, what's got your treasure? Because that's got your heart. The main reason why Jesus tells us and warns us about money is because he knows that it can steal our heart. So where's your treasure? Second question Jesus asks you is this. Jot this down. What has your attention? What has your attention? What's caught your eye? What are you really seeking after in this life? Look at it, verse 22. Jesus says, the eye 
is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You read that and go, that's a little confusing. What does it mean? Well, it's pretty simple. Just circle your eye is bad, right? Imagine it like this. You've heard this before, that the eye is the window to your soul, right? The eye is the window to your soul. And so whatever has caught your eye, has caught your attention, that you're focusing on, well, suddenly that's caught your heart, right? And the fact is, is that's why, look, that's why materialism is the American idol. It is. Materialism and stuff and possessions, it is the American idol. Do you know why? Look, listen to this. The average American in their lifetime will have spent four years of their entire lifetime watching television commercials. Now, we hate commercials, but we'll spend about four years of our life watching television commercials. Do you know what television commercials are? They are 30-second propaganda pieces that are designed to make you feel discontent with what you have. And they're all saying the same thing. You're not happy. You need to get that new flooring. You need to get that new rug. You need to get those new glasses. You need to get that new car. You need to get these clothes. You need to get on this vacation. Your life is incomplete. You need this, right? I mean, we are bombarded. You have an entire marketing industry, and they know that if they can have something that catches your eye, they've got you because they've got your heart, right? So you better be careful what you're really focusing on. It's like a little children's song, remember it? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. you got to be really careful what you're really focusing on. Why? Here's the application point. Jot this down. Whatever's caught your eye has your heart. Whatever's caught your eye has your heart. In fact, we even say that, don't we? We go, wow, that really caught my eye. Boy, that dress really caught my eye. Or have you seen that new car? Oh, my goodness, that new car caught my eye, right? Or maybe you go over to somebody's house and something catches your eye. It's something that you can't afford or can't get. And what happens? You feel like, oh, my goodness, they're better than me. Oh, my goodness, my life is incomplete. I need that. I need that. And then what happens? Once something catches your eye, what do you start doing? You start impulse buying, and everybody knows this. If they can get you to impulse buy, you're going to make some really dumb decisions. Can I just say, the dumbest decisions financially I have made, it's because of impulse buying. Look, I've bought the wrong vehicles before. I've bought the wrong furniture before. I've bought the wrong appliances before. Why? Because something caught my eye, and I just had to have it. And Susan and I, we put in this little, you know, guard. We said, okay. If there's any, we're going to spend more than $200 on something, we got to wait 24 hours before you can buy it, okay? Why? Because impulse buying will drive you crazy. But that's what happens. Something's caught our eye. So let me ask you, what's caught your eye? Is it that stuff? What, what, what is it right now? It's got your attention. You're really focusing on it. It's caught your eye. Is it a house? Is it that product? Is it that stuff? Is it what, what is it? Maybe you're coveting something that your neighbor's got, coveting your neighbor's car, maybe coveting your neighbor's spouse. Jesus said, if it's got your eye, it's got your heart. So what, what's captured your attention? There's a third question Jesus asked us about money. It's this. Jot this down. Who has your devotion? Who has your devotion? That means who has your allegiance? Who has your heart? Really? Look at it, verse 24. Jesus says this. 
No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other one. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, we think that we can, don't we? We go, oh, yeah, yeah, I can love Jesus and love my stuff at the same time, and you're calling Jesus a liar. The Bible says that you're double-minded in all your ways. You're unstable in all your ways. No, you can't have two masters. You can't love one and say, I'm going to love the other as well. No, no, suddenly you'll love one and you'll despise the other one. The great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he took a stand against Hitler and Hitler killed him. But look at what he said about this. He said, our hearts have room only for one all-encompassing devotion. We can only cleave to one Lord. And so let me ask you, based on your life, what's your first love? What has your attention? What has your heart? Who is your master? Who are you taking orders from, the almighty dollar or almighty God? You know, we, we all talk the good talk. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus first. He's first in my life. Well, you just check your checkbook and see if that's really true or not. See, here's the final application. Jot this down. Whoever you love is who you're really going to serve. Whoever you love is who you're going to serve. You see, that's what this is all about. We talk about money, but the bottom line is it's about your heart, your devotion, your love. Look at how Jesus says it again, verse 24. Because your money reveals your heart. No one can serve two masters, for he will either love the one, right? Hate the one and love the other. Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now you go, no, 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 I, I, I. I, I love Jesus, but, but I also love my stuff. In fact, that's the reason why some of you even have a pushback on this message, and you feel uncomfortable, and you don't want us to talk about money in church. And yet Jesus talked about it all the time. Why is there this internal pushback that you're feeling right now? Because you know in your heart of hearts you're serving two masters. You know in your heart of hearts that because you love this other stuff, you really don't love Jesus Christ. And in American you know, America, this is our idol. Materialism is what we go after. In fact, we have an entire economic system that's based on consumerism. A, a couple of years back, I was um, given an article called The Crisis of American Consumerism. It's written by this um, professor at Georgetown University. And he basically said, you know, American consumerism, consumerism has gotten out of control. It, it has become the central thing of how we think, how we operate. Everything about us is about this. Now, this guy's not a Christian, but, but look at what he said. He said, quote, consumerism will not just magically disappear from the central place in our culture. It needs to be supplanted by something. And you know what? He's right. That's what Jesus basically said. See, the only way to stop your appetite for more possessions is to have a greater appetite for Jesus Christ. The only way to break your addiction for more stuff is to be more addicted to Jesus Christ. The only way to supplant your love for money and possessions is to be more in love with Jesus Christ. Because listen to me, Jesus alone can give you the significance that you're really longing for. Jesus alone satisfies the need of significance of your heart. Jesus alone gives you the happiness and joy that you've been searching for. And in fact, what I would say is that Jesus Christ needs to be your all-consuming treasure. Now listen to me. That's what it means to be a Christian. You called on Jesus Christ to be your Lord. You said, Jesus, you're going to be my all-consuming treasure. I pursue you first. 
But the sad reality is many people in the church, they, they don't really love Jesus as their all-consuming treasure. No, they got sort of Jesus on the side. They, they pursue all their stuff throughout the week, and then they come on the weekend, and they give a little you know, token you know, love to Jesus, right? And Jesus is basically just their fire insurance to keep them out of hell when they die. Can I tell you something? That's not what it means to be a Christian, Being a Christian means you say, I've surrendered all. Being a Christian says, Jesus, you are my all-consuming treasure. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you're the only one that will satisfy me. Why? Because you know what? Money can buy you a bed, but it can't give you a good night's sleep. You know, money can buy you a book, but it won't give you wisdom. Money can buy you medicine, but it will not give you health. Money can buy you a house, but it won't make a home. Money can give you amusement, but it will not give you true happiness and joy. You see, more money is not going to solve your problems. Well, not. More money is not, a key, not going to keep your kids off of drugs, but more Jesus will. More money is not going to make your marriage sweet again, but more Jesus will. More money is not going to satisfy the emptiness of your soul, but more Jesus will. And whenever you realize how much God loves you by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in your place for your sins, when you understand the incredible treasure you now have in Jesus Christ, you don't need to play the lottery because you've already hit the jackpot with Jesus Christ. Jesus needs to be our all-consuming treasure, not stuff and money and possessions. And so ask yourself a simple question. Who or what is your treasure? What really has your focus, your attention, your heart? Who do you really love? And Jesus says, if you really want to be honest with yourself, just follow the money. That'll tell you where your heart is. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus' final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, There are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.